Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm here with Ralph Van Roosmalen. He is the CEO of Management 3.0. Ralph, welcome to the show. Thank you, Richard, for having me here. Pleasure. Uh, and before we get it, it, well, let's start with what we mean by three Management 3.0. So uh, perhaps we need to distinguish that from 1.0 and 2.0. What, what, does, what does the 3.0 mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me quickly uh, explain without doing the whole workshop. Uh, 1.0 is really traditional management. It's uh, command and control uh, done in the past in industries, in assembly lines, and it worked quite well. 3.0 is really about empowering people, engaging people, uh, modern organizations, modern management. And 2.0 is like, I want to go there. But I'm still in control, so you still have to ask me permission for who has the best idea. So that's basically it is, in a, in a nutshell. Okay. So this, uh, so 3.0, isn't it? You use the word that empowerment. Um, what are other sort of key themes of 3.0? Uh, it's about trust, having trust in your people, having trust in your employees, understanding it's a complex system, complex adaptive system that you can't manage, you can't control it. Uh, it's giving people freedom to do whatever is important for the company, having clear purpose. Uh, I'm not, we don't believe it's just a playing ground that you can do whatever you want. There can still be constraints and uh, rules in Mentor Point Out, but they should really help people to become valuable for the company. Right. So we trust people, we empower people, uh, and we accept complexity. Yeah. 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 Okay. And the and two point are people who perhaps understand some of that, uh, but aren't quite ready to make the yeah. full commitment, the full leap. Is it something yeah. like that? The idea that often give is like, okay, you have this great idea. Let's do an innovation program, and everybody can come up with a great idea, a great innovation uh, program idea. But then in the end, management decides who has the best idea, and that's two point I mean, you give people freedom. You think they can decide, but in the end, management still makes the decision. It's still command and control. Right. So, so it's more consultative, perhaps. You're, you're drawing more people into the, the field in terms of yeah. decision-making, but it, you're not really trusting people to take their own initiative. Ultimately. Yeah, and 1.0 is really like uh, Frederick Taylor, who, who said it already, uh, scientific management, things like that. And we're not saying that 1.0 is wrong, but it's just often not the right approach. I mean, if you work with all respect in an assembly line, then 1.0 could maybe be, work for you. But if you work in a creative environment where people have to come up with ideas, with innovation, things like that, I mean, then telling them exactly what to do probably will not give the best results for the people and for the organization. So it's all about the context, which style to apply in which uh, company organization. Right. Okay. And so let's hear a little bit of your backstory, Ralph, Ralph from... Uh... Yeah, where you came from to becoming the the CEO of I, I don't know is it it's a company it's a movement I mean I don't even know what, what how I describe management three point oh official company I mean we registered at the Chamber of Commerce in the Netherlands so it's an official company we uh, we pay taxes uh, we have accountants uh, who check our bookkeeping so it's really an official company it's an official company okay but it's um, uh, it, it it is something it's it seems like it is something slightly broader right because it's it's sort of carrying a message isn't it right as, as yeah. well as being I mean, an entity yeah 
Yeah, it, it is really believing in good, in making the world a better place, improving management, uh, leadership, uh, worker happiness, uh, things that are really connected to Manager Pointer. And often you say improving the world is great, but if you don't make any money with it, then it will not be really sustainable. So you need to make some money to be able to do it. So it's, it's, it should be a win-win. Right, right. Okay. And, and where did you, yeah, so what's your experience? Did you come from a, a 1.0 or a 2.0 environment? Like, what's your journey to, to become to where you are now? Everyone is coming from 1.0. I mean, it's changing now, but when you look at schools, and I guess you're a bit the same age as me, when you went to primary school, it was 1.0. The teacher telling you what to do in, in the base of the, the class. I mean, it was not really adaptable to your personal situation. Look, this was 1.0. Um, but... I studied uh, IT at uh, Polytechnic University. I started as a software developer. I really love tech stuff, still do. Um, but then I realized that working with people and processes gives me more energy. I mean, uh, and then I switched to management, basically. Uh, Scrum master, test manager, project manager, as of coach. I mean, I consider that all management. Um, did that with product development companies for around till 2015. Then I started my own company, um, and then um, the first thing I did was get a license for Manager Point because I really want to teach people about that. Because when I read the book in 2011, it really clicked with me. I thought, this is what I'm doing already for years regarding management style. I mean, I empower people, and I just ask people, okay, what should we do? Uh, so it really clicked with me, and then I thought, okay, I want to become a facilitator. I want to do those workshops, and then uh, a few one or two years later, uh, Jurek Aplo approached me and asked me if I would join the team. And I said, sure, I mean, that's an honor. I mean, helping with this good cause, with this purpose. Um, he left the company, focusing on other projects. And then uh, that would be a new CEO. And that's a bit tricky because in a company where you drink your own champagne, you practice what you preach, we're all managers. And no one is a manager. I mean, we're all equal. I mean, it's really... As we say, it's a flat organization and nobody is in charge. So we had a team meeting and then it was like, okay, who want to be the manager? And then somebody said, Ralph, why don't you become the CEO? And I thought, uh, I don't know, I'm just here for a few months. I mean, yeah, we think you could do it. And that's how it happened. Wow. Okay. And we should explain for people. So Jürgen Apollo as the... Uh, well, I suppose that the, the founder of, of of this way of thinking, he conceived Management 3.0 and, and formed the company, right? Yeah, he wrote a book in 2011, and then he started doing workshops, and then he decided, okay, let's make a company behind it to facilitate all of this, and that's how it started. Right. So that's an interesting. So, so, so you you joined. You, you just thought you're going to join the team, and then what? A few months later, you become you're asked to become CEO. Yeah, I mean that's and we. We do have a certificate, so we do have co-owners, as we call them. So we had to ask that permission. We had to do a voting. Uh, but that's, I mean, it was different. But Manager Point the company is different in many ways. And this was also different. I mean, it was just like the team decides, okay, you're going to be the CEO. And still, I'm not acting as a CEO. I'm not telling people what to do. I mean, they know themselves better what they should do. But we you do need to have a CEO in companies to represent the company to the outside world. So that's basically the role that I have. Uh, I update the co-owners. Uh, I need to sign documents because there are things that legally need to be there, but it's required legally. So you need to have somebody who is the director and then let's call it the CEO. Right. Okay. And you say co-owners. So how does that work? How does the ownership work? And how much of, how important is that, do you think? 
Oh, how does it work? Um, we have certificates, I think since four years, um, and people could can still buy a certificate. Uh, it's a bit of shareholders, uh, shares, but lots, uh, not that complicated and no need to go to notary and things like that. Um, is it important for us? Yes, I think it is, because it does show that people really care about organization, that they're really interested in what we're doing. Um, and they are there for the long term. It's not with as many companies that they are shareholders and they want to see profit on return on investment within a few months and then they leave again. Those people, our co-owners, they are in here for the long term. And we do give them regular updates and they give us all the freedom to build the brand, to grow the brand. Right. And these co-owners, they're not necessarily working for the company, right? It's a, no, 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 no. I mean, I do myself have a few certificates uh, and another few team members have a few certificates, but most of them um, are not related to the company. They're HR coaches, people who are believing in the cause, uh, people all around the world. Uh, so it's a really different, uh, diverse audience. Wow. Yeah. So this, so this is like a, almost like a, a crowd owned company something yeah, like that yeah it is and uh, they can sell the certificates if they want to do other people things like that and we do give them updates uh, four times a year uh, so it's, it's really like having shareholders but not shareholders who say to us hey you need to do these goals or you need to make this profit or things like that they give us all the freedom and uh, i think that's also really part of mentor point it's about trusting your employees trusting your organization but then it should also be with us that the co-owners trust us. I mean, it would be yeah. weird if they would use command and control as far as possible with shareholder certificate owners to command management organization. That would really conflict. I mean, that's, that would not work. Right. Okay. Interesting. So, and these, these certificate owners, they, do they get a dividend? No, no, no. I mean, we do make profit, although this year probably not that much because of COVID-19. Uh, but they don't get a dividend. We everything that we make in profit is going back into the company. Okay, and but but does those the value of those certificates can they rise over time? Yes, they did. Um, last year, two years ago, last year, uh, we had a company we managed who bought a big part of the certificates, and uh, people got a return of investment of thirty percent, something like that. Oh, well, okay. Right. Okay. So, so it's, in that sense, it's like having a share, right? The, yeah. yeah. But only in this case, the, the, the value is decided by, yeah, ourselves, by the market. It's more like, okay, this is what we think it's worth the company. Right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, and that's a, that's a particular construct that's available in the Netherlands. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, uh, if it's also possible in other countries, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's common in the Netherlands to do it like this. Okay. All right. Right. Yeah. And uh, okay. Uh, fascinating. And and <clears throat> so you have this uh, diverse group of, of certificate owners that, to some extent, you're accountable to. But they, you know, the, the ethos is that you're just trusted to yeah. to run the company as a team. And how many in your team then? How many of the how many people are employed? We got nine people at the moment. Uh, two in India, one in Burkina Faso in Africa. Uh, the Canary Islands, uh, one in Spain, mainland, uh, the UK, Finland, Canada, and myself in the Netherlands. So it's really diverse all over the world. Wow. All time zones are covered, all, not all cultures, but many cultures are covered, religions are covered. So it's really diverse team. Yeah, wow. And you, you're the CEO, but you don't manage. So, so I think 
it's useful to just to provide some examples then of of how a structure like that works like what are some of the tricky decisions that come up or or tricky situations that come up that get managed in a way that would be novel to people or that might be interesting to people um everybody can come up with new ideas and of course that's always the case but what we approach of what we use is in proposal document to say so everybody can come up with a proposal um I had a proposal a few months ago to add a new product to the web shop. I mean, that's just a small example, it can be anything. You write a proposal document, you explain why it's a good idea. You come up with success criteria, what will make, make it really extraordinary great or what will make it a failure. So you define those criteria. And then you ask the team, okay, guys, what do you think? And they can comment, they can ask questions, they can give feedback, and then you read the feedback as the person who created the proposal and you adapt the proposal and then you publish it again. Is based on Sochakrasri, Sochakrasri S3.0, uh, consent-driven, consent-driven, consent-driven decision-making, and that's what we use. Um, there are always tricky parts. I mean, we didn't have the case, but we had it in the past. Firing people. It could be at one moment that people don't have a click with the company anymore, and that you've grown apart. I believe in self-organizing teams, self-steering teams. But I also believe, not not believe, there are not that many teams who can do that themselves. Because saying to someone, hey, we we want to fire you or we should separate our ways, it's it's a difficult decision. It's 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 a very personal uh, message. It affects people. And there you see that often one person needs to step up. And for some reason, and maybe not, I don't know. I mean, they asked me to become CEO, maybe also for the reason that I do speak out. And maybe it's because I'm Dutch, I don't know. I use it often as an excuse. We Dutch, we just are very blunt. Uh, but in those situations, you often do see that somebody needs to step up or speak out. And yeah, sometimes it is me. And that is still the case in many teams, I think. You always have a team for, you have many teams for everybody's equal, but in the end, still someone needs to step up. And if that's on the leader, the manager often, yeah, there is a reason that you are the CEO. There is a reason why you're a team lead. I mean, often it is because you speak out. Right. But I mean, salary increase in our team, we decide them together. We think, hey, guys, we did a good year. We think our current salary is not fair. Uh, let's improve it. Right. And do you have different salaries for the different members or you all have the same salary? We are very socialism. So we have different, the same salaries. But that's a nice example indeed. Um, we had, a, I think a year ago, one half year ago, we had the discussion about salaries. And it doesn't matter until that moment where you live. So Tahira in India made the same salary as me in the Netherlands, as Hanu in Finland. And we felt a bit of unfairness in that. I mean, and we really uh, uh, want to give Tahira the best and we, we really think that she's doing a great job. But on the other hand, I mean, the money that she makes in India if I make the same money in the Netherlands, I mean, I can spend less than she can. She can spend a lot yeah. more with that money. Mm -hmm. So then we had a discussion in the team, what are we going to do with this? And then in the end, we decided, okay, just make it location aware. So we keep the same salary for everyone. So the year will not get less because that would not be fair. But depending on which country you live, you'll get a bit more. And on the manager point, oh, we use country dependence fees. So depending on which country you live, you pay a fee to us. 
So we also use the same uh, scheme scheduled for the salaries. So now Hanu and I in the Netherlands will get more. Uh, he gets the same, and that was a decision made by the team. Okay, so you get like a, a country bon- a bonus because yeah. you're in a, an account. Okay. And I think if you make those decisions with the whole team, they will always be better than just making me them alone. I mean, I have some knowledge, but I don't have the knowledge of the team. Right, okay. And did that work on the on the same basis? So you, you made a proposal, there was a back and forth, and then together you uh, agreed it. I mean, does it ultimately come down to a vote? I mean, how does it ultimately get made? Yeah, in this case, it was during a retreat, team retreat before COVID-19 that we could still get together. We do that twice a year. And it was just one of the topics on the agenda. So it was just an open discussion in a room with people. So it was really like, uh, because the proposal document, the other advantage of that document is that you can do it asynchronously. Yes. You don't have to be in the same room, same time. You can write in the document, you can answer different times. The discussion about salary was done in the, in a meeting just uh, in, I think it was in uh, Dubai. Okay, okay. Yeah. And you, yes, and I think I think that's interesting to me. So you're not because what's what seems to be true of other other companies where they have a, a high degree of empowerment. They, they run they they adhere to quite structured decision making processes, right? Yeah. You think of alocracy, right? And there's certain steps, and that it's ritualized. That it's uh, and some people I think can have a reaction to that, right? It feels a bit controlling or somehow not very sort of humanistic. It sounds to me like certainly in this case with the the salaries, it is an emergent, open discussion, no sort of fancy process you were following. This. Yeah, indeed. And and we do have policies. I mean, every team member can spend 500 euros a month without asking any permission from other team members. I mean, that's the budget that everybody can spend. So if you want to get a subscription, if you want to buy something for the for the team or whatever, for your role in the team, buy it. Above 500 euros, you need to have you need to consult the team. You need to inform them, hey guys, I want to do this upgrade and it will cost 3,000 euros. What do you think? But up to that, everybody is free to do. So it's not that Manage Pointer doesn't have any policies. We don't have just freedom. It's also, we have them in place, but with common sense. Yeah. And these are, these are policies, it sounds like, you, that have emerged over time. Yeah. yeah that, that makes sense for you, yeah. I mean, we review them regularly and we update them and, and, and that's how we grow them or we just cut them if you don't need them anymore to speak in gardening language yeah yeah and but it's all on this on the basis of trust yeah i mean that's number one in the team the trust if you don't have to trust if you don't believe that people are doing the good in in the interest of the company then it becomes hard to manage then it doesn't work anymore yeah yeah and that's Sometimes people also, when I talk about managing point, they also talk about and then say, yeah, but you're nine people. That's easy. What should I do when I work with a telco of 10,000 people? And of course, that will give a different uh, context. That will make it more complicated. Right, right. Um, and what, do, what, what is, because I'm sure there are plenty of people listening in that context. So what is your advice to those who are living, who are working in much larger companies? I think, and that, that, that's not easy done, but you need to spread it up. I mean, it's also about trust. I mean, you can't trust 10,000 people. That's just impossible, even if you would like. Uh, so I think that the, the key there is to spread it up. And um, uh, when I attended forward a few months ago, a few weeks ago, you had a talk with uh, Tom de Love, and he also talked about this. It's about splitting up, making it smaller, because you can't trust 50 people. You can't trust 100 people. That's okay. They still know, okay, I can trust people. I know it's done. You can still 
see what's happening, but if it gets too big, you can't do it anymore. So I think the key is to split it up and make it smaller and have those decisions made by those small hubs, components, pots, whatever you want to call it. Right, right. And of course, the challenge is because if you look at companies like um, uh, Gore-Tex, um, the tomato, um, got the name, the tomato uh, company in yeah. California. Yeah, I know who you mean. The name's also gone for me, yeah. Yeah, uh, Sodic in the Netherlands. I mean, those are large organizations who have the same approach about trust and getting people free with their empowerment, but they started doing that from day number one. So they grew it. And if you're now working with a big company, 10,000 people, and you're going to introduce those components, like freedom, trust, and you should do, but then it, that will be a challenge. I mean, I totally agree with that. Right. And, and why is it, do you think then, that companies, when they scale, tend not to modularize? They, they tend not to create small cells. We tend to see companies scale using a hierarchy, right? Yeah. Many reasons. I think one of the reasons is also about the power of influence, the power of the control. I mean, if you have 10,000 people reporting to you, some people really feel good about that. So it's about personal vision. And we talked a bit about shareholders, but if you have a company and you only and you can tell the shareholders that you grew with 50% and that you've got a company of 10,000 people, it sounds much better than, hey, we got so many small companies. But think also about what people, shareholders, organizations expect i mean the bigger the better where i think it's not the case i mean um it could be but then only if it's a stable environment yeah i mean if you look at nature i mean the dinosaurs they got huge but there was a stable environment stable nature for many millions of years and then it switched then the comet in mexico hit the earth and the ones who survived were the small animals the mammals and I think if you look at the economy nowadays, the situation, the cycle, I mean, it's going so fast, changes, uh, COVID-19, uh, innovation. I mean, as a big company, it will be hard to survive. And the smaller you are, the easier you can survive, I think, because you can adapt much easier. You can yeah. move fast, you can make easy decisions, faster decisions. And the large company, everything is go to the CEO, especially when it's a big investment, then you lose time. Right, right. But, okay. But then the, 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 the counter argument to that is within those large companies, you, um, you have this effect where you don't, you don't have the transaction costs to get things done right, because everybody is in the same organization. If I'm in a small company, I often have to subcontract out um, to do big things, right? And it's kind of inefficient because I'm having to make uh, contracts with lots of other parties to get something done. Whereas in a large company, it's, you know, people can effectively do it on a handshake, right? And they can move forward together and lean on different departments. And that's, I suppose, one of the arguments I've heard as to why large companies can be more effective. Yeah, partly I agree with that. I also work with big companies. And what I see with big companies, they introduce bureaucracy. They introduce, sorry for the words, cover my ass policies. Yeah. Um, and... In theory, you're right. I mean, it could be so much more efficient if you work in a big organization, don't have those transaction costs, those overhead costs. But on the other side, they also introduce a lot of bureaucracy, uh, sign-off moments, uh, going up the chain to make a decision, going down again, waiting for uh, decision boards, a change advisory board, things like that. So I think in the end, bottom line, they are slower. Yeah. And of course, I mean, 
I agree with you. I mean, if you need to make an investment in, in glass fiber, for example, in the Netherlands, I mean, there are not many small companies who can make that investment because it's a huge investment. You need to make the infrastructure. The same with the power grid. I mean, that are huge investments. You need to have money for that. You need to have uh, yeah, money to invest. So that's hard to do with a small company. I agree with that. But then still, I think, can you split up your company in smaller parts, give them freedom, empower them, and, and just give them a goal. Hey, guys, this is your purpose. I don't care how you're going to realize it, but these are the constraints. This is the purpose of your pot, whatever you can, can call it, unit. Go in. Go. Realize it. Yeah. Um, that's right. And I, I, I do, it, I mean, this, this theme has come up several times on the podcast is, you know, is at a certain point, does this model break, right? There's, is there a certain scale at which these high trust empowered cultures kind of can't work anymore and, and that you need to um, introduce some level of command and control in order to achieve the scale. Uh, I, I'm not sure I've got a definitive answer. I'd, I'd like to think that um, this is ultimately scalable, right? That, you know, we could, we could almost create any kind of size of enterprise on these principles. Yeah, I mean, that's just good. I mean, you talk about uh, Dunbar number, 150 people that you can build connections, relationships with, and then above them, it should be very hard to do. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, as you said, it's a complex system. It's, it's difficult. I mean, there's not one answer to solve this problem. Um, and still, I think you can have some kind of hierarchy, but it's also about the mindset. And that's also what, if you go back to Mentor Point it's also about the mindset, about an, a frame, an, an idea in, in having trust in people, empowering people, and doing that with everything you do is making sure that people have the, the, the knowledge and, and the skills and, 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 and the, right, the room to make decisions. And then still you can create some kind of hierarchy in company, but if you keep that in mind, then it's okay. I mean, if, if you talk about decision-making, often decisions are made by managers. Um, and I think if you're going to make a decision, there are two things important. The first, you should have knowledge about the decision that you're going to make. And if you're a manager of a company and you need to decide on if you're going to use Scrum, Agile, or you're going to use whatever process or tool, I mean, do you have knowledge about that or do your teams have more knowledge about it? If so, then have the teams make the decisions. And the, one is, the other one is, are you affected by the decision? Because if you're not affected by the decision, then yeah, why do you make the decision? Then it's an easy decision, then it doesn't matter. You can just take a dice and roll it because, yeah. I think that's also very important for managers to realize, do you have knowledge about the topic and are you affected? And if one of those two is no, then you should really question yourself, should I make that decision? Or should I ask my team or somebody blow me, if you talk about hierarchy, to make that decision? Right. But what you're talking about there is, is the willingness for for a leader to have humility and to not be driven by power, right? Yeah. And uh, and I think, yeah, I I think it really comes down to that. If you don't have individual leaders who are um, of that mindset, um, then these types of companies won't emerge. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, if you are as a leader, manager, really proud that. 10,000 people are report to you directly or indirectly, and that's that's your goal, yeah, then it will not work. But if you can run a company with 500 people and you can say, hey guys, I got three days in a week that I can't, don't have to do anything, I can work on another project, I mean, that will make me feel great. I mean, then I think, okay, we got 500 people working, they can do their own work, I'm not needed anymore, I mean, that's cool. I mean, then 
you should be proud as a manager, as a leader, that you did it. Yeah, and I think that's, to, to me, as much as we talk about models and, and, and ways of doing things and, and processes and so on for these companies, that, that seems to me to be the, the key element here. It's this shift in what we aspire to as leaders and how we define success as, as individuals and as leaders, right? And, and that's all the way through, through school, through university, um, yeah, and, and then into the workplace, right? It, if we can have that as our, as our goal is to be able to grow, to uh, be rewarded by seeing others grow, right? That, that way of orienting ourselves as leaders seems to be such an important message. Yeah. That's already at school. I mean, as you said, I mean, there you have grades. I mean, in the Netherlands, we use a system from one to 10 um, and you get a grade. You're ranked compared to other pupils. And it's not that you get a grade for helping other pupils. No, you get a grade for your own results. I mean, that's where it already starts. Right. And I think if you really want to change that mindset, then I think we should also look at those kind of systems. How can we change that? How can we also reward students for helping other people? Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah, we get great. <laughs> yeah, it's always on the individual, isn't it? It's what's my yeah. grade. It's not what if the team achieved. Yeah, and I mean, you do see in the Netherlands, you see more also universities and in the Polytechnic University, you see uh, projects that students have to work together, uh, things like that. And I think that's a very good development. I mean, then you really do something together. Uh, and then they also run in cases where, for example, one student is uh, slacking and they need to deal with it. And those things, I think they're really cool for students to learn and also how to deal with somebody in the group who is slacking. What are you going to do with him or her? You need to deal with it because in the end, she will get the same grades as you, as the team. And if you're okay with it, then yeah, it's okay. But if you think, hey, that's not fair, then you should act. Yeah, I've never made that connection before. But yeah, it's almost as if there's a correlation between me as an individual getting graded versus my peers. And, and so what does that look like in the workplace? Well, it's, is my salary higher than lower than everybody else? Is the number of people I manage higher or lower than everybody else? Right, we're setting people up in that mindset that success is, yeah. you know, what I can in, in, attribute to myself relative to everybody else that I can be, have more of or be better than. Yeah, and I think in, in the end, in the company, in the modern organization, it's not about individuals, it's about teams for me. Yeah. I think you, you can't accomplish anything anymore in this world nowadays without a team. I mean, yes, you can write a book alone and you can write a song alone, but if you want to publish to Spotify or to whatever platform, you need a team. You need to have somebody who does the editing, who does the, 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 the mixing of the different whatever music stuff. Mm. You need to have a team. And if that is the case, then we should also reward teams and not individuals, maybe. Right. Yeah. That's, thing, uh, yeah. yeah, the thing is, I mean, we got a system in companies that is set up to reward individuals. I mean, we grew this system the last 100 years. Right. And now we need to change it. I think, I, I think we need to change it to teams approach. Also making sure that we don't forget about the individual, but also need to approach team approach, team rewards, and that will take some time. I mean, we can't just throw away 100 years of history, mindset, and, and looking at individual, to reward that person is much easier than looking at a team. I mean, yes. research you on your on whatever you do, that's easy. But if I need to just a team, 
I mean, is it fair? How do I know everybody did the same work? And then all those things of practice get into place. And that's, that's challenging. So I think also many people just think, okay, let's keep it as it is because that's easy. That's, I understand that. Right. Yeah, and as you say, I've, I've been trained my whole life to think in those terms. It's the, it's the way we think, isn't it? Um, yeah, that... that um... Yes, it does make a lot of sense. And and when I also I think back to, you know, we, we started this conversation talking about industrial management and, and perhaps there was a sense that it was useful to train people that way in schools because in a factory setting, yeah, we could take an individual worker and see, you know, how many widgets they've, uh, you know, processed in their part of the, of the line or a clerk in a, you know, administration, you know, how many forms they processed that day, right? And to some extent, it made sense, right? Because there wasn't quite so much of an onus on teamwork, or at least you could get away and still be fairly productive without an onus on teamwork. But I think that kind of work is nowadays automated. Yeah. Much, uh, more and more. I mean, I think bookkeeping even, if you just do the numbers, I mean, if you look at bookkeeping system, they get so much more uh, advanced. In a few years, bookkeeping is just software. I mean, you don't need the bookkeeper anymore to do the numbers. I mean. To check on them, that's probably needed. Uh, the same with assembly lines. If you look at factories, more and more is automated. So everything that you can control with industrial management with Manifold 1.0 nowadays, I think will disappear and will become automated because often no creativity is involved and it's just doing stuff. And even creativity nowadays is uh, showing up in AI. I mean, it is getting there. Right. Um, but yeah. They're still, uh, <laughs> yeah. If if Siri, if the if the uh, efficacy of Siri is anything to go by, then I think there's still uh, a way to go with AI. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I take your point. That's the direction. Yeah. Um, no, that's uh, that's fascinating. So it's uh, it's it's all set up in our schooling. Um, and to what extent in our, you know, and I think there's also in the family, right? Certainly the trust element. You know, we, I think in our families and and the. Uh, Pim DeMore from uh, Corporate Rebels was on the podcast and he was making this point about families. He, he was brought up uh, in a very high trust family, right, where his parents just trusted him, you know, to a very high degree. Uh, and when he hit the workplace, it was such a it was such a contrast to how he'd brought, been brought up in the home that uh, he created Corporate Rebels, you know, with a mission to create yeah. a different style of working environment. And so I wonder how much parenting and family plays in. What's your take on that? Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I had a talk yesterday with somebody and in Men's Point, you got the delegation cards. I don't know if you know them, but it's about delegating yeah. things to teams. And the first seven levels and the first three are really about the management control and the last three levels are really about the teaming control. And this guy said to me, also with parenting, I mean, you can do, that you, you can do command and control also at home. With your child, you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. Or you could say, "Hey, guy, you got all the freedom, and as long as it's not dangerous, then go ahead." And I think that's also then indeed forming your beliefs and your approach to things, and and, and also makes you who you are. And that also translates back into when you go to work. Yeah. So I definitely agree with you that there's also something in in your home situation, how you're raised, and and what your approach is. If you're always punished, if you do something, then that's how you think you should do. If people at work do something wrong, you should punish them because that's what you learned as kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when in my own upbringing, you know, I was trusted a lot. I was given, 
you know, as I reflect, I was given a hell of a lot more freedom than a lot of my friends were, you know, after school, like, you know, my parents would let me, you know, run off and go play in the woods and down in the river. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't watched. I was given a lot of freedom and I wonder to what extent that, uh, yeah, means that I have this, this, this reaction to corporate culture and want to push yeah. against it, right? Yeah, I mean, I never thought about that, but um, I live in a village and I grew up here. I lived here already for 45 years. And on one side of the village is the highway and on the other side is the railroad track. And I love to go on out on my bike in the Netherlands uh, when I was young. And my parents always told me, you're allowed to go anywhere, but you're not allowed to cross the highway and you're not allowed to cross the railroad. So basically, but they just said, hey, this is the playing ground. That are the constraints, that are the boundaries. And within that, you're free to go anywhere. Right. And yeah. I think, yeah, that also makes me indeed, that also formed me as a person, also believing in certain management styles, because that's how you're raised. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I do think as much as this podcast is about management, so often we end up in the realm of schooling and 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 family because that's yeah well we know from complex systems right it's this it's the starting conditions make a difference right it's it's yeah. how the system the, the inception of the system guides the, the evolution of that system yeah and i think it's also i mean i believe you as a person you're not just the manager the leader i mean you're everything you're also the child that grew up you're also uh, i mean it's not just your business instance of you I mean, you're a person with all your history, good things, bad things, how you were raised, where you grew up, what kind of college you did. I mean, that makes everything. Yeah. And, uh, I, and I, I think that's also why, as we're seeing parenting, and I think parenting styles are changing perhaps more than school. <laughs> that's why my intuition is that schools seem to be somewhat behind, you know, where we're at with parenting. But, um, you know, perhaps that's a, another reason why people coming into the workplace now have very different expectations of how they're going to be managed. Yeah, I think parenting is also easy to change. School system, to change that, you need to go with to politics, uh, governments, uh, bureaucracy, uh, politic, politic programs. So that's that's hard to do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But I know, I mean, they're also changing in the Netherlands. My, my sister, she's a teacher and she really applies. She even did a mentor point workshop a few years ago. And she's a teacher in primary school. And she really liked it. And she's really trying to apply that mindset also in her class with her pupils. And she gives her kids freedom. I mean, you do whatever you want, but you don't go there. So things like that. And I think what you will see is that those kids at that school will be different at work than who went to traditional primary school. Yeah. Um, I think that's right. And I, well, and I think the, whole, the homeschooling movement, I mean, we had a, a university well, we've had a few university professors on here but one of them um sarah perry was talking about how the, she noticed a big difference with homeschooled undergraduates uh versus people who'd been through the normal school, schooling system and the, the homeschool undergraduates uh you know much more self-directed much great sense of initiative um and were much easier to teach uh, than than the kids who'd gone through the schooling teaching, which I thought was interesting. Because when you get to university, it's a it's it's a little bit more like being in a workplace. You have to be more so. so it's, it's a bit more like the type of culture we're describing, where it's high trust. You're trusted just to get on with it. You're expected to be self directed. You're expected to you know have your own initiative and come up with your own ideas. Right. So yeah, it would make sense that people who have been given more freedom and trust in their schooling thrive in that environment. Yeah, I mean, they, I think, probably adapt easier to universities and to yeah, modern management styles. Definitely agree with that, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so I think that's, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's another important angle here. Great. Um, and, uh, and where do you see, so, you know, you've, we've got this, you've got the company, it's nine people, you, you know, it seems like you're thriving, obviously, yeah. you know, COVID's had had an impact. What do you see the future of management? Is there a management 4.0? I mean, what's your horizon right now, you know, for, for developing the, the brand and the concept? Yeah, uh, no, there's no 4.0. It's really about the difference between 1.0 and 3.0. So 4.0, not there. Although you can check out the website. So I really advise you to do that. Um, I think it's keep developing the brand, keeping developing courseware, also updating courseware. I mean, we do see things changing. I mean, things that were nine years ago, very uh, hot, uh, uh, useful, are starting to change. Uh, so it's about that. Um, we don't have the ambition to grow the company to 100 people. I mean, that's not our goal. The goal is to uh, increase happiness at work, to improve management leadership. Uh, so I think for the next years, it will be about making our facilitate successful. Um, and what we do see is we're growing. We got 438 facilitators nowadays. It's growing in Latin America, India. And I don't believe that you should put a lot of rules in place. But we do see that we need to put some constraints in place to, 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 to guide the system a bit. Because also this is again a complex system. So that's also our task to guide the system in the next years to make sure that it doesn't grow like yeah, you don't want to grow it. Um, yeah, and we can start working on an academy, online academy, uh, see what we should develop on online learning because that's definitely here to stay. Other things like that. Right, right. And you said uh, some things are less popular, some things are hot. What, you know, what is hot in your world right now? You know, what, what is there a particular sort of spike in interest in them? Now, what you see, for example, we talk about delegation board, and that's something really about management and, le- and team. The management empowering the team. I think you see more and more teams who are self-organizing, self-steering. They don't have a manager anymore. They just like bourgeois. But still, those teams need to make decisions. And we should just explain for people, Birdsorg is the nursing organization where the, the, you have groups of nurses who are self-managed and right, yeah. uh, highly autonomous, right? Yeah, and they can only get support to do their work uh, when needed, when requested, basically. Uh, but those teams also need to make decisions. And we have now a new practice. It's about team decision matrix, as we call it, with five different models, how those teams can make a decision just to get it clarified in the team. And that's why the see evolution where the previous practice was really about management and team and now the new practice the following up is more like okay how does the team make decisions because we see more and more teams who are making the wrong decisions but they often don't know so they're just looking around and who's gonna make the decision is that the guy the guy the person who speaks out first or so those kind of evolutions we do see uh, and of course remote work and remote teams is very popular nowadays um yeah that's that's what we see in the market right Fascinating, you know, that seems to be the, the evolution. So for people who want to check it out, just, just spell out the web, website for people. Obviously, we'll put it links in the description, but just for people who are listening. Yeah, uh, management three, three, no, three, uh, management, management30.com. I won't say 3.0, but it's management30.com. Right, great. That's the best case. And you've got a whole plethora of, uh, of, of workshops and courses in, in every region, right? Every language. Yeah, I mean, it's from Japan to Mexico, from Finland to South America, of, uh, South Africa, everywhere you can find them. Uh, so there will be definitely one close to you. And now a lot of remote workshops, so you should be able to find one. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, go on. So go on. You... 
Yeah, I mean, and there's also a lot of information about the practices about the, the Mentor Point uh, modules that you can just read without even the need to attend the workshop. There's also just a lot of information on the website also. Right. I think I've even got an article on there somewhere. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Ralph. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I really enjoyed the, the conversation. Um, thank you. And uh, no, see you again. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.